friends, I am so excited to bring you this very special episode of Michael Loves Indy. I get to interview Esteban Castro, one of America's great up-and-coming jazz pianists. He is a finalist for the American Pianist Association Jazz Competition hosted here in Indianapolis. Let's get right to it. Friends, welcome back to Michael Loves Indy. I am so excited to bring you this conversation with Esteban Castro and a little more about Esteban in a minute. As many of you know, music is absolutely central in my life. And one of my favorite things that I get to do is serve on the board of directors for an organization called the American Pianists Association, headquartered here in Indianapolis. As many of you know, the best jazz piano competition in the world is hosted here in Indianapolis, and the best classical piano competition in the world is hosted here in Indianapolis by the American Pianist Association, or APA, which exists to help young American pianists and their careers. So a little bit about my guest, Esteban Castro. He's the first of five finalists that I will be interviewing in the next few months as part of the APA Jazz Awards. Esteban is a 20-year-old pianist and composer. He's on his way to becoming definitely one of the next big things in jazz piano. Um, check this out. At 13 years old, he was the first prize winner in the is the first prize winner in the Montreux Jazz Piano Solo Competition, the youngest ever to win that prestigious award. At 14 years old, he was the youngest first prize recipient at the Jacksonville Jazz Piano Competition. He's written over 40 compositions. He's selected as a pianist for the Grammy Band, um, has played at sold-out venues domestically and internationally. And um, we recorded this Friday afternoon before his Saturday night performance at the Jazz Kitchen as part of the APA premiere series. So I'm releasing this on Saturday morning the night before he does a jazz trio performance, which is part of the APA competition. Um, he was incredibly generous. He gives you some insight into his creative process, his approach to improvising and composing, and you get a sense from Esteban the passion, but also his, his interest in um, a very, very broad range of musical history, which he incorporates into his playing. When you see him play, he's just drawing from all these different references uh, in a way that is uniquely Esteban Castro. So it's an inspiring conversation. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you will check out APA or American Pianists and support the organization. Um, I'm so excited about this year's jazz piano competition. You have many opportunities to follow it at live performances in 2022 and 2023. So do check that out. Anyway, on to the interview with Esteban Castro. Well, Esteban, we are sitting here at the Jazz Kitchen on a Friday afternoon. This is the afternoon before your premiere series concerts for APA tomorrow night, Saturday. I, uh, before we get into questions about your life and your career as an artist, how are you feeling You know, on this Friday uh, here in Indianapolis? Feeling pretty good. I'm excited for tomorrow, and I'm just going to do my best and see what happens. I know, you know, I've, I've now seen you a few times playing solo. Um, does your, does your preparation differ How, for people who maybe aren't musicians when you're approaching a, a solo performance, as opposed to a trio performance, this will be with a, a bassist and a drummer. Does it, does, do you, uh, does your method of preparation differ at all? Yeah. I mean, you know, for solo piano performances, you kind of know what to expect a lot more, especially for this particular performance, because I've never played with uh, Kenny or Nick, the, you know, the bassist and the drummer, before today. Um, so, you know, part of part of my preparation for the for the trio was trying to kind of hear the you know the arrangements and the compositions I I brought in, hear those kind of in my head with the trio, and and try to make sure that it was as easy. Uh, for them to play as as possible and um, but you know for a solo piano gig I can play whatever I want I don't really have to worry about if it's you know uh, 
if, if it's easy enough for other people to, to play with a, you know, I only had a two hour, two and a half hour rehearsal with the, with the trio guys. So I, you know, I, I had to kind of, um, you know, budget what I was going to play. I, I couldn't just play a bunch of complicated original music because yeah. there was no way we could get that, you know, in, in two and a half hours. But for a solo gig, I can play whatever I want because yeah. I know exactly what to expect. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing of, you know, it's obviously it's a, it's a good thing because you can, go into it and and know exactly what's kind of what's going to happen but it can be a detriment as well because um you have to make sure that you're not over practicing and over preparing because there still needs to be that element of spontaneity um and i think that can come more naturally with it with a trio when you're getting fed ideas by other musicians that you haven't played with before but you know solo piano it's just you and and it's kind of what 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 can you come up with yeah you know so um i kind of had to balance like really being comfortable with the solo pieces that I was playing, but not so comfortable that I knew exactly what, what, what I was going to play because that defeats the whole purpose of improvisation. And, you know, if, if everything is too kind of telegraphed, then the music isn't going to sound natural. It's going to kind of sound forced. Yeah. So I just had to find that balance. Interesting. One thing that's fascinating, and I hope um, people listening to this, so this will be released uh, the morning, uh, really tomorrow before you play, is that... Um, I was blown away the first time I came to a premiere series concert in a previous uh, APA jazz competition because you're limited to two and a half hours. So you're going you're to do two sets tomorrow uh, combined, certainly more than two and a half hours, but you're capped at two and a half hours to practice. And that's just fascinating to me that you can make that, that you can achieve that kind of connection. And I know that's just part of jazz, but you can achieve that kind of connection in that short a time. Yeah. It's, it's, you just have to be strategic about it. Um, you know, for me, one thing I really wanted to, to think about was how the sets, you know, were going to flow because I had never practiced each set with a trio before. So um, I practiced everything in order from set to set, even though there were some things that were in the second set and even later on in the second set that were really hard. I still wanted to practice it in order. Um, so I, I kind of had to balance wanting to do that with also covering the hard material. And of course, you know, I had two and a half hours to rehearse and, you know, at the jazz kitchen, each set's an hour. So I only get 30 minutes more <laughs> rehearsal time than right. I do actual time to play on the gig. Um, and generally when I'm rehearsing, it's the same day as the gig a lot of the time. So I don't really like to solo a lot because if I solo on something earlier that day, that kind of almost kills my creativity for it later on in the day. I'll, start, I'll start to think about, uh, oh, I played this before in my solo. I really want to do that again. But of course, it's never going to sound as good the second time because it's not, you know, maybe not in the right context. Yeah. That um, is. See, that's, that's the part. That's the, the mind, like that mind of a jazz musician because I, I know, but I, I play piano. I'm a pop pianist, so not nearly at the level of you and the other finalists. But I know, like, I know, um, you know, when I, when I find a lick that I really like, I'm just going to keep going back to it. And so that's fascinating. So you will avoid improvising like that in the rehearsals so that you're more fresh than in the gig is, is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's a little different for this rehearsal because this is not the day of, you know, it's, it's, it's a day before. So I, I also had to balance that approach with also, I wanted to be comfortable with the rhythm section. So yeah. I, you know, if it was my band in my rehearsal, I would know that I was, I've played with them so much that I know what they're going to do. I know that I'm comfortable with them. So I, I would be comfortable just playing the melody and not really soloing or kind of holding back when I'm soloing so yeah. I can save it for the gig. But for, for this, I really wanted to, you know, understand their playing a little more and, and like try to hear what they were going to do. So I did actually, you know, solo kind of full on in this rehearsal. Yeah. Um, so they can get a feel for kind of your vocabulary. And I can, and, yeah, and yeah. I can get a feel from their vo vocabulary yeah. too. Um, but it's I'm I'm also going to have to kind of strategize because I'm I'm going to listen back to the rehearsal to see if I want to make any changes or whatever. But when I'm listening back, I can't. I, I have to try to not really remember what I was what I played because I have a tendency to like, you know, listen to myself a lot um, and then. And then that's, that becomes the main thing that I hear is what I had previously played. But of course, you know, especially if it's like something I played six months ago, for example, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, six months older and you improve over the course of yeah. six months. So you don't want that to be in your head because what would, what you would come up with at that point would be 
better than what you came up with before. Yeah. So it's always a balance listening to yourself. Speaking of six months older, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the beginning. So you're 19 years old. I'm 20 currently. Oh, you're 20. Yeah, Did you just turn? Yeah, yeah, about a month ago. Okay, happy birthday. Thank you. And um, you were you were winning competitions when you were very young. And so, you know, first, the first question is, you know, was, um, did, did you always like from, from a very young age, did you always see yourself as an artist? Did you see that this, did you, did you always know that this was the path that you would pursue? Um, I, I got into it really young and I think I, I figured it out pretty young. I would say by the time I was like 12 or 13, I knew that I wanted to go into this full time. Um, it's just the thing that I love doing the most. Yeah. And, uh. So was it, was it the kind of the, um, like a lot of people, you had a piano in the house and you just naturally would gravitate to it? Or how did, how did that evolve, you know, when you were very young? I had like a, a toy piano. I don't even remember this. This is, my parents told me this. <laughs> but I had a toy piano when I was about three, apparently. And I would gravitate towards it a lot. So, and my parents noticed, so they got me lessons. And uh, I, so I officially started when I was four, I, I, they rented like a, a Baldwin upright when I was four and, and got me lessons. Great. And you, you specifically mentioned, so last Sunday, great kickoff concert at the historic Madam Walker theater, you and the five finalists. And uh, you specifically mentioned that your classical training has been really important to you. Um, your, your development in jazz, did that classical training start then when you were very young as well? Yeah. Yeah. I started with classical music and I, I kept it up. I still play classical now, but really, really, really focused on it until until I went to college. So you know, not not every not every pianist, and even not even not every skilled pianist, is an improviser, you know, or, or mm-hmm. pursues improvisation. Um, and I'm I'm just really fascinated with this because um, you know it seems like with uh, improv, I, I love the expression. I think it's um, uh, composition is improvisation slowed down and improvisation is composition sped up or something, something to that effect. Is that yeah. like improvisation is composing on the fly? Yeah. yeah right. That's what right. I heard, yeah. And so it seems like for the, every, everybody that I've talked to who is a, uh, who is, who picked up on improvisation when they were young, it's almost like a, a confidence thing. And so was there a time in your, in your youth when you know you, I'm, I'm picturing you studying classical music, is there a time when it clicks? Oh, I can improvise. I can make up my own. Was there? Was the, how did that happen? I kind of always was improvising, honestly. Like ever since I can remember playing piano. After I, I knew how to play very basic things. I was improvising. Okay. So I got into jazz very young because of that. Um, I was improvising. Like I would get up in my music class and I would improvise pretty bad <laughs> classical pieces. Uh, but, you know, I was improvising, and then um, my music teacher was like, what, why, is, why don't you play jazz? Because, that, you know, you, that's what you get to do when you play jazz music, you improvise. So that's how I got into playing jazz. But, yeah, I've always, I've always naturally gravitated towards improvising, and that's why I love playing jazz so much, because it gives me the freedom to express kind of exactly what I want to express in that moment. So you, you've mentioned Jazz Kids. Is that the, the name of the organization? Jazz, Jazz House Kids. Jazz House yeah. Kids, that's right. And you mentioned it. I remember it when, when we got to see you in New York, you mentioned and And there have been uh, multiple Jazz House Kids. Our um, Jazz House Kids alums have come through this APA competition. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, can, you, uh, can you share a little more about how that organization was important to your development? They really, they really helped me a lot because that was kind of the, f- the, the first time I, I really got to play with other musicians. They were a little older than me, but, you know, other like really talented and serious musicians and pe- people who wanted to do this for a living. And um, so I got a really, you know, just good kind of handle on, on what was up, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I did it in very, like, formative years of my life. I, was, I think I was eight or nine when I started, maybe eight. And then I, 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 I left when I was about 13. So, um, you know, I, I almost feel like I kind of grew up there, grew yeah. up playing jazz there. Um, and they, they also just had, a, you know, they had an emphasis on the tradition and knowing bebop language. And I remember, like, multiple times in class <laughs> getting yelled at because I couldn't play bebop. Yeah. <laughs> so they gave me a tradition, er, sorry, an a, a appreciation for the tradition uh, very early on, which I think is important. Yeah. And also the community there uh, was, was really great. And, and getting to interact with, you know, the faculty was 
It's so great. I'm actually studying now. I, I have combo at Juilliard with one of the faculty members that and he was teaching at Jazz House at the time. So nice. really they have great, great musicians teaching there. I got to interact with people like, you know, Christian McBride as a you know very young friend of kid. APA. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. And and I I, I failed to um, mention this and and ask you about this. And you grew up in New Jersey, is yeah. that right? Yeah. And whereabouts in New Jersey? Hackensack. Okay, so right right there uh, yeah. near near the city. Yeah. And does your um did your parents go back multiple uh, generations in New York, New Jersey? No, no, I'm I'm actually first generation. Myself. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, so your parents immigrated? Yeah, my from? mom mom from uh, Britain and my dad from Cuba. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. How did they meet? Uh, college. Okay. Yeah, Cornell. Okay. Yeah. And then um, it sounds like if if they you know um, getting into jazz house kids at you said like eight years old it, it seems like your your parents would have been picking up on okay um esteban's got a real talent and so um are either of them musicians no okay they just they just uh, uh supported supported it and yeah and, uh, oh fantastic yeah. yeah okay um what was it like getting in that environment for the first time with other musicians other jazz musicians i mean you you kind of hinted at you you you, uh, it inspired you to raise your game, you know, getting around other musicians. But do you remember what that what that experience was like? Yeah, I had experiences with other programs actually before Jazz House Kids. That the summer before I started Jazz House, um, my dad took me to a bunch of like jam sessions. Like I went to Smalls once when I <laughs> when I was like eight. <laughs> uh, you know, I went to a bunch of different jam sessions. The Kitano. I went to Smoke. I think. Yep. Um, and then I, I've I did, been to, I've been to all those places. Yeah. 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 And I, uh, you know, I did some, some camps as well. And then I, I met the, the, um, piano instructor at, at jazz house at the Catano. He was yep. in the house band for the session and he heard me. He was like, you should do the camp. And I, the saw, camp. I saw, I saw Mulgrew Miller there about 10 years ago when wow. he, while he was still alive. It was about, wow. about a decade ago. The Catano. Yeah. But go yeah. Right, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, and the camp was that summer and I, I went to the Catano and this was about late July and the, yeah. the camp started early August and he was like, you should enroll in this camp. And the enrollment deadline had already, you know, definitely passed, but he got me in and, and that's how I started at Jazz House. And, you know, I did a lot of other, other camps and they were great, but Jazz House was kind of the first thing that I did that was consistent and it was really like at a high level yeah. and really interacting with uh, incredible faculty, but also not just the faculty, but I, I think just as important, if not more important as your peers. Yeah. Um, because there were so many people there that took it seriously. I mean, two, two of the other finalists uh, this year on the APA were also at Jazz House at that time. And I've known them since I was about eight or nine. Yeah. Is that you Isaiah know? and Isaiah Kalen? and Kalen. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And a lot of, a lot of people there, like Emmanuel Wilkins would do the summer camp and he's huge now. Like, so many people who were really, who are really serious. I just got to interact with them at a young age and because they were closer to my age, it was inspiring and it motivated me to, to keep at it and get better. And it, it, it allowed me to see what, what it was really like to, to do this. You know? I, I always hesitate to ask any artist this question because I know like when you get to the level you are, you're, you're pulling from hundreds of influences, you know, but was there a pianist who really took, you know, immediately like, you know, Bill Evans or Oscar Peterson or or Monk or that, that really kind of hooked you early on. I would say Bill Evans was kind of the first piano player that I, I was almost like obsessed with. Yeah. You know, um, he just kind of, I really, I really loved his lyricism from like a, from a young age. Um, and I listened to Oscar Peterson and, and Monk, actually, funnily, you mentioned the three of them. Because right. I listened to, you know, a lot of Oscar Peterson and Monk. But I think Bill Evans was the first one who hooked me. And then after after that, I, I you know, kind of went backwards in time. And uh, um, But I, I think I, I gained an appreciation for people like, you know, Monk, Bud Powell, yeah. Art Tatum, James P. Johnson, a little was, bit later. I was going to yeah. say Art Tatum, because now I've seen you at, at least twice. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, well, so at the time, I'm thinking – there's a 19 year old kid playing stride piano, like Art Tatum, like oh. at that speed. So it's like, and not, and not, not, um, a lot of, you know, modern pianists can do that. So is mm-hmm. that was part of what you're talking about by going back? Yeah. And, and actually going to Juilliard has helped me get an appreciation for the, for the tradition. Cause it, it 
forced me to study that music that I hadn't actually really listened to much. Of course, I loved Art Tatum, but I, I was never like really deep into him until going to Juilliard. But now, I mean, he's probably my, I mean, he's one of my favorite pianists. Ever. Yeah. He's incredible. And uh, yeah, uh, there's so much, of course, his technique is incredible and his facility is incredible, but there's so much, so many things that he does that are deeper than just, you know, being fast at playing piano. I mean, his harmonic sensibilities were incredible. I mean, he, cutting edge for his time, too. He was doing so many things that Bird then took later on and added to the jazz vocabulary, but all these upper wow. extensions, these, like, even, like, polychords, all that stuff. Like, nobody was really doing that before Art Tatum. He he, he really pioneered that as well. Um, so, yeah, I love Art Tatum and James P. Johnson as yeah. well. Um, I mean, it's... James P. Johnson always fascinates me because his rhythm is obviously so incredible. It's so solid, but it it seems like every note he plays makes perfect sense to me. Like all the voice leading in his left hand when he's playing stride, all of the you know the 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 low notes on one and three, and and then the the higher notes on two and four. Like the when he's playing his left hand, all all of the everything makes sense. It's like you you isolate that and and their individual melodies yeah. but then he's playing stride you know fast stride yeah and he's still able to do that and it's just i don't know he he's almost perfect to me this is, so this is a peek behind the curtain question that you don't have to answer but i'm like i don't even know how i would break down art tatum or james p johnson if i couldn't if i didn't have ability to slow the recording so uh-huh. how, are are you, are you doing that as you're as you're yeah. transcribing this stuff yeah art tatum especially i mean it just helps to cuz it's hard for for james p you know on 2 and 4 it's very hard to hear the actual chord cuz it almost comes out as just like a pulse or like a, a rhythm because it's it's very much kind of like a Sounds like a ghost note, so I I have to slow it down to get those wow. those voicings really down, and then our Art Tatum his runs I I you know I, I slowing down helps me because it it makes me more precise. So yeah. and that I practice that way too. I mean, that's generally how I will practice transcriptions or learning like harder tunes stuff like that. I you know I start at half speed or sometimes even quarter speed, and will kind of speed it up so I can get to their their level. You know, um, but. When you're in jazz house kids at, you know, eight, nine, ten, are they um, encouraging you to transcribe solos even yeah. at that age? So you're yeah. breaking. That's that is wild. And I'm just picturing, you know, an eight or nine because our, our kids are we have two kids that are that mm-hmm. age. And I'm just imagining them at that age having the discipline and the drive to transcribe solos. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it took a lot of pushing. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember <laughs> once at the summer camp, they uh they wanted us to transcribe Miles' solo on So What, and then they handed out, like, a, 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 a piece of paper with, or, like, a, they handed out their transcription, and they wanted us to check it with their transcription when we were done with the transcription. And I totally cheated, and I just copied their <laughs> transcription. So, you know, I, uh, sometimes... You're very honest. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I, I, you know, I had to be pushed to yeah. do that stuff. But I really enjoyed transcribing, and, and uh, especially now I love it because I, I, it's... I feel like I'm getting a glimpse into the the mind of these geniuses, yeah. you know. I mean, so. that's that's again, I'm 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 not I'm not anywhere near your level, but it's like it seems like all all the teachers say if you really want to if you really want to find your own voice as an improviser, you there's no shortcuts, you must transcribe and must understand in great detail, you know, solo soloists you admire. Is that I mean, I I think I think the second part I agree with that I know many great, I mean, incredible piano players who've never transcribed a solo in their okay. life. You know, it's different for everyone. Okay. Some people can just listen to Bud Powell records for a week and, like, kind of understand how he thinks. I'm not, I'm a little slower. I'm not, I can't really do that. I mean, just even in, with listening to music, I kind of need a week with one or two albums. I can't just listen to four albums a day and understand it, you know, so... For me, transcribing helps because then I know exactly what they're playing. It's not, it feels more approximate to me when I'm just listening, but I know people who can do it yeah. just by listening yeah. and that's okay too. If that's how your brain works or your ear works, then yeah, I would say go for it. Because also you don't want to be copying verbatim what Bud Powell played because right. if you do that, 
Bud Powell's going to do it better because that was his voice. That was what he wanted to say, you know. Yeah. So I think there is kind of a danger in transcribing and transposing 50 lines in 12 keys because you don't want to – you want it to be authentic. Yeah. So there's a balance there. But so I, yeah, I want to I, I want to ask you about Montreux Jazz uh, piano solo competition. But I have one more question related to this yeah. before I move on to that, and that is, was was there a pianist who you consider to be somewhat underrated? You know, maybe not on the Mount Rushmore. You know, of Peterson and Evans and you know Bud Powell, who's been influential to you, like someone that 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 someone that we might say, oh, I wouldn't I wouldn't think that he or she would be uh, an influence. You know, I can't really think of anybody. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because these are giants. I mean, the people you're mentioning, you know, James yeah. P. Johnson, and maybe it's the maybe it's the stride, you know, pianists, you know, the early 20th century. I mean, I think everybody knows who James P. Johnson is, but yeah. I don't think a lot of pianists actually listen to him. Yeah. So maybe I'm, I might say him. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm people I'm thinking of are, are really names that everybody knows, but yeah, yeah James P. He's really the father of. Jazz, of jazz piano in general and and yeah. and monk james p was monk's main influence monk would go to james p's house and stuff like that when he was younger yeah so that's so cool he's uh, he's not underrated everybody knows who he is but i don't think enough pianists actually know his playing yeah really check him out i think you're right yeah so do you, by the way looking at your bio do you do you feel like sometimes you've packed 50 musical years into 20 because <laughs> i don't think so i have a lot of i yeah i mean i i i haven't done as much as i i want to you know so yeah it's it, but it, it is incredible i mean so 13 you win you won first prize at the montro jazz piano solo competition yeah make you were the youngest ever to win the award yeah um can you share what what inspired you to uh enter the competition and and what that was like yeah i just heard about it i sent in a tape i did not think i was gonna get into the finals because there were there were 10 finalists um, and it was up to age 30, so I, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get this, but might as well just send something. And then I got into the finals, and then I spent, like, two, three months just, like, really practicing <laughs> a lot, kind of an unhealthy amount, actually, <laughs> uh, for the competition. And Six, seven hours a day or more? more. It was like, I mean, I was doing 10-hour days sometimes. Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was wild. And it, there were four tunes total, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I probably couldn't do that today, but... Um, I'm more familiar with the instrument and more familiar with my own voice now than I was back then. So yeah. I don't feel like I would really need to do that today. That, that's obviously that that's a significant event on your musical resume. Was that a significant event in your kind of in your in your development? Was that was that sort of a mountaintop experience? Yeah, it really was. I never. I mean, I I went into that really just not expecting anything. Like I I really didn't think I was going to get anything, let alone win. I was just like, let's just see what happens and use this as an excuse to get better. Um, And it was a great experience. Um, I got to go back to Switzerland to perform there a year later uh, and also for a kind of a camp for a couple of weeks with the rest of the winners because they did the first, second, and third of every competition that they have. They have three competitions, so they had a you know, a piano competition, a guitar competition, and a voice competition. And the faculty of that camp was great. I got to meet Kurt Rosenwinkel, Marcus Miller, wow. um, Yaron Herman. Wow. Um, so it was it was a really, really nice experience, that, that whole competition. And, uh, yeah, it's just a very memorable thing for me. At this point, so you're 13, were you also – did had, had you formed a band as well at that time? No. Okay, so most of it, most. I mean, I'm imagining you playing with different groups, but you're primarily a solo artist. I, I yeah, I at mean, that, I would I would kind of hire different bands, but I, I was a lot more, of course, uncertain about my my voice, and I'm, I still am. But I was, you know, as a 13 year old, I don't I don't even really I was I wasn't even thinking like that. Yeah, honestly, yeah. I, I'm not even sure if I was thinking of myself as an artist. I was just trying to get better and yeah. be a student. About a year later, you won the. Uh, um, Jacksonville Jazz Piano Competition, and is that um, what's the format of the Jacksonville competition? Is it is it solo and group performance? It was trio. Trio. Okay. Yeah, I believe it was only okay. trio. I don't think I played any solo pieces. Okay, great. And and um, and then I know um, you know you know people who have seen you now uh, perform. We know that um, you know you're 
you're drawing on a broad historical range, but that composition is also important to you. You regularly feature your own compositions. Yeah. Um, when when did you start? Um, when did you start writing your own jazz competitions and featuring them as a as a performer? I was six when I wrote my first jazz tune. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've been writing pretty much my whole life. I mean, even before I started playing jazz, I was writing. I got Sibelius, the, uh, the uh, notation, music, software. The no- notation yeah. program yeah. for my fifth birthday or something. No. <laughs> or sixth birthday. So your parents know. I mean, that's pretty cool. So your parents yeah. know what's going on. So they're... I mean, I'm imagining your parents are doing the research saying, oh, let's get him Sibelius. Let's look into Jazz House Kids. Let's, yeah. Say, okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool. So you've got a MIDI keyboard. And I didn't playing. have a MIDI keyboard. I was just doing it on my laptop and, okay. you know, writing at the piano. But, yeah, it's just been a process of, of refinement. And, you know, of course, my, my early compositions were pretty bad. One of them is okay, but that's because I got a lot of help from my, my teacher to the point where it was almost his tune. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. mine, but... Um, actually, my, yeah, that's that was at that time that was Adam Birnbaum. Yes, he was a previous APA, APA winner. Really, yep. really, really great teacher. I, I I don't even know how he had the patience for me as like a seven year old. Yeah, but uh, and then uh, speaking of teachers, at some point, um, the great Ted Rosenthal enters yeah. the picture. So yeah. how how did you come to know Ted? So I so he's my my teacher at Juilliard, and he's teaching me for the past two years. But we actually knew kind of vaguely knew each other because we both studied with the same classical piano teacher. This was Philip Kaywin. Uh, He was, Philip Kaywin was really instrumental in my understanding of the piano. And he, he was just really incredible, an incredible teacher. I met him at the MSM pre-college. I studied with him the the entire time there for about nine years, eight, nine years. Um, And, and Ted had also studied with him. And, and so Mr. Kaywin would, uh, um, you know, talk about him a lot because he was a jazz pianist because, you know, he's a classical teacher, so most of his students were classical. But um, so, you know, I, I had, you know, of course, known about him and, and he knew about me, but we didn't actually start studying. Uh, like, I didn't start studying with Ted Rosenthal until college. Until yeah, Juilliard. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, kind of construct a timeline here. Yeah. Um, at what at what point um, were you aspiring to go to Juilliard and be in that environment for a while, or did that kind of happen? Um, I would say for a while. I yeah. I know I know myself, and I know that I I thrive under environments where my peers are really, really, really high level, and uh, I just felt like Juilliard would be good. Yeah, for that experience. Yeah. Know. So, as I look at, um, I, I'm I'm just imagining what it's like to be in that environment. And I'm imagining it's, on one hand, very competitive, but there's also a camaraderie that I see from the outside yeah. that you jazz musicians have that you don't see in many other places. So it's, it's, from the outside looking in, it feels like it's got elements of both. Is that? I, I, don't feel, I don't feel very, I don't feel that the environment is competitive. And I think that the piano class, I mean, you know, for my, my relationship with, with Ted has been great and he's really been helpful. I mean, he's, he's really helped me. Um, kind of understand like earlier styles like when we were t- what we were talking about earlier he's really he introduced me not introduced me but almost introduced me of course I knew who James P. Johnson was yeah. I'd listened to him but not to the extent that I did after studying with him so he really really helped me with that and uh, I think the whole vibe there is is generally I mean I, I, don't, I feel like it's more people are inspired by each other you know we have a, a class every month called piano studio class that ted runs um and uh, so all of us you know pianists at juilliard we get together it would be really easy for that environment to seem kind of competitive but it really never feels that way to me you know yeah so i, I think they do a good job of trying to make it you know as you know emphasize inspiration instead yeah. of competition and w- w- can you can you uh, share a little more about the environment of Juilliard because at this point you've won multiple competitions at mm-hmm. a young age and you've got a lot of options available to you what was it about the institution of Juilliard and that environment that you're going to be in that really attracted uh, you I, I think yeah I, I think uh, it was a combination of you know they definitely emphasize tradition and 
you know, when I was in high school, it wasn't really my inclination to listen to older music. It was, you know, I was, I was, you know, of course, Bill Evans, but, you know, I was also listening to Keith Jarrett and, and kind of later pianists, you know, post fifties or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, but, 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 you know, I also know that it's really important to appreciate things that you might, you know, your instinct might not be to listen to. My instinct was never really to listen to stride music. So, but, you know, going to Juilliard kind of made me listen to that music and go back. And now it's some of my favorite music ever. And also very much influences what I do, even though I try to write, I try to be original and, and you know, write things that are kind of forward looking. But so that was that was really a big draw for me because I knew that it would keep me in check a little bit. It would kind of be like a little bit of a kind of a discipline thing for me. Um, and then also, like I said earlier, just the, the level of the peers, that's important to me as well, because that's another way that I can keep myself in check because, you know, it's, it's, it's just going to motivate me and I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to keep working to try to be better to keep up. You know. So you're, so you're saying again, for those of us who are for either non-musicians or, or, you know, amateurs like me, it's almost like being in that environment. It's not, you're saying it's not so much competitive. It's like people, people coming at it from different angles, inspiring you mm-hmm. to be a better version of you. Is that? Yeah. And there's always going to be ego that gets involved. That's inevitable. That happens everywhere. That's going to happen at every school. Um, so it's just, you know, you have to also kind of make a conscious effort to not let that get to you and just to, to be inspired and, and be thankful that, you know, there are other good musicians. <laughs> yeah. There are people who are always going to be better than you. No matter no matter how good you are, there's going to be somebody that is better than you. Yeah. Like all always. Or that is better at something than you are musically. Yeah. There there are, there are millions of people out there that are better at, at musical things than I am, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's inevitable. And I think the the you know, the earlier you come to terms with that, the better. So, you know, you hear for example, another good piano player, and that's inspiring to you instead of like hurts your ego. Yeah. You know? But it's easy to I fall in that. that trap. But I think, I think also being at Juilliard kind of forces you to learn that lesson because the environment, you know, by itself doesn't feel competitive to me. So the only reason why it could feel competitive would, is because of your own ego and your own competitiveness. So it's it's also forced me to to because I'm a very naturally competitive person. But it's forced me to separate that from music because music is not a competition at That's all. Right. It's an art. You know, yeah. it's there is there is, you know, especially once you reach once you reach a certain level. I mean, you know, you can't. There is no objective argument for Herbie Hancock being better than Chick Corea right. or something like that. Right. You know, like there's there that that doesn't exist. You right. Know? So yeah. even though even even though you're as good as Herbie Hancock you're not better than everybody, you know? So there is no number one pinnacle of being, you know, yeah, I love it's just that. a process. It's a journey. And, yeah. uh, and so the, the you know, the, that is something that every musician has to learn yeah. and, um, being surrounded by people like that, that people who are you know really, really talented, really great musicians has definitely, and jazz house helped with that too. Yeah. You know, I was surrounded by people who were really serious from a young age. So, um, it's helped me accept that. Yeah. Because if I, I think if I was kind of a, a big fish in a small pond type thing, I, I you know, I'm, I might not be in that mindset. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about your your um? And I, I, I again, I always get hesitant about this because I never want to pry or give like a any musician to sort of talk about the secret sauce. But any any insight into your um. Uh, routine or process for uh, practicing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I would do a lot of kind of exercises. Um, more so when I was younger than now. But um, when I was, before college, I was almost exclusively practicing classical music, um, classical repertoire. So that was very helpful in a lot of ways. But when I came to college, I was almost clueless on how to practice jazz music because it's easier for me to practice things that have very concrete end goals. So, you know, with a classical piece, if I'm practicing Chopin's fourth ballade, something like that, right? I know what my end goal is. 
play, be able to have, you know, be able to play the piece. So it's just a matter of finding the steps to do that, you know, slowing it down, stuff like that, you know, and it takes, you know, it would take, take me months to learn really hard pieces, but yeah, you keep at it and, and you're going to get there. But with yeah. jazz, there is no real goal. I mean, like how do you practice improvisation? How do you practice? And you know, a lot of times it's not even really about the, the facility. It's about having a certain sound in your, in your inner ear or being comfortable with that, with your fingers. So it's just a lot more abstract. So, you know, when I, in freshman year, I was doing a lot of transcriptions, a lot of tune learning. Those are things that have concrete goals. You transcribe the solo, you learn the solo, you memorize the tune. But Recently, I have kind of been struggling with, you know, you know, now I'm at a point where it's like, yeah, you know, I could transcribe another solo, but I also want to flesh out my own ideas. Um, and I do feel like I have strong ideas in my head, but it's, it can, they can feel incomplete to me because it's like, well, how do I, like, how do I do that? How do I flesh out my own ideas? That's yeah. such an abstract conceptual thing. Yeah. So it's like... So that's something I've been personally struggling with because I, I didn't really grow up doing that, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, what, about, what about writing and composition? Is it the kind of thing where you'll – because I know, I know um, people who compose where they, they've got a routine and they're going to they're gonna compose a, at a set time every day, and I know other people who inspiration strikes and then they kind of go on a streak, you know. Um, how, it, um, what, what's, what's your process for composition like? Yeah, I, I'm in general. I'm not really a routine person. Uh, so, you know, with with composition, I, I feel like if I made it, you know, every day at one p.m., I have to compose for thirty minutes. Like it would, I think it would. Some like composition would in my head kind of be attached to like, okay, I have this is something I have to do, and my goal is to keep it keep it passionate, keep it something I, I want to do. So yeah. I, I think like if you force, it's the same, I think with practicing, especially after a certain point, because, you know, with practicing, yes, you know, you have to become really comfortable with the instrument and have solid technique. And sometimes that's just like, you've got to do that. You know, you just got to wake up and you've got to do it. But you also have to make sure that your relationship to music is personal. And it's not, it's not just something that it's like, this is what I have to do because it's yeah. my job, you know? Yeah. So with composition, I've never, I've never had a routine for composition, but I do find that deadlines help. So I think there's a balance between yeah. like just writing whenever you feel like it and it doesn't matter. And you write every day for an hour. Um, Cause deadlines make it so that your mind is always thinking about it. So I might, I might start with an idea that might not even be musical. For example, I just like, or like, you know, I, I want a song that's going to fit this vibe, something like that. And then you think about that and also subconsciously your mind ruminates over it when you're sleeping, when you're showering, when you're walking, random things like that, you know. And eventually it'll come out and the deadline does kind of expedite that process. Um, when I was a freshman at Juilliard, I, uh, I scheduled myself a recital um, at, at Juilliard because this was during this was 20 this was before the COVID vaccine there was really no, nothing was really open there were there were barely any gigs so this was kind of the way that I wanted to motivate myself to to write so I scheduled myself a recital and I wrote down in the program this suite that I had been planning on writing and I had the, the first movement written but I didn't have the, the rest of it written but I had it in the program with that on the program and it was, it was a thing where I couldn't cancel the recital. If I wanted to cancel the recital, I, I had to pay like a hundred bucks. So <laughs> that's amazing. I basically like, yeah, like I forced myself to write it. And See, uh, yeah, and there were days where it was like, like it was a long day because I had just gone out of classes and I had juries. Like I, I, I was playing on like nine different juries as a rhythm section because you had to record it, so they didn't have a rhythm section for the juries. And uh, anyway. That's beside so you the point. Put, you put, you you put the name of the suite, two movements of which you hadn't written yet. Four movements. Four movements of which you hadn't written yet. Yeah. Because you knew that would motivate you to, to mm -hmm. write it. And That's I finished amazing. it. And it's my favorite thing I've ever written. <laughs> What's it called? It's called Overcoming. Overcoming. Is that yeah. on? Is that on a? 
It's uh, on. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Okay, overcoming. Yeah. We will we'll yeah. look that up. Yeah. That is fascinating. Okay, yeah. so you. So it's almost like you're you're interspersing these deadlines. Yeah. To sort of kind of create these surges of. But it's not a routine because yeah. you, you you do kind of have to let it happen. Yeah. So deadlines will expedite that process, and they might honestly give you more inspiration. But you know, for example, a lot of times what I'll do is I will write like half of a tune but then you know my mind starts to kind of wander like I just start to lose focus and after a certain point forcing yourself to keep writing it's not going to do any good because you're you're not going to it's not going to be as inspired what you come up with so once I realize okay I'm I'm kind of out of it now I've been doing this for an hour or two hours it's just it's I'm, I'm kind of losing it there's no point in in going through the motions when you're when you're writing yeah sometimes if your mind is wandering when you practice that's just you got to put up with it because there are some you know some things where it's just like you know technical practice for example you just get better by doing it but writing you want it to be as good as possible you know when you're practicing you're not performing so it doesn't have to be as as good has that discipline been something that was always there or is that something that sort of grew Something that it definitely grew. I don't feel like I'm a very disciplined person. I think <laughs> I think I like. I mean, you know, I I, I think learning self discipline is a very important skill. But yeah, you know, I mean, I, like you know, it takes me a while to wake up in the morning, yeah. for example. You know, so I, I'm not. To 99.9% of normal people, you're exceptionally disciplined. But yeah, no, I, I get. I don't I get think it. I am really. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, no, that you are. Um, I. Uh, I want to talk about APA and this competition. You know, we're, we're sitting in Indianapolis, and APA is definitely um, uh, some, uh, an organization that is treasured in, uh, in Indianapolis. And mm-hmm. p- people who um, support APA are so proud that it brings our best young American pianists here, and you develop a relationship with the city. But um, I do want to ask you, how did just the basic question is, how did you find out about APA? What inspired you to um, uh, submit? I, I've kind of always known about the competition. My, as I mentioned, Adam Birnbaum was a winner, you know, and he was my teacher when I was really young. So before I was even thinking about, you know, what am I going to do when I'm, when I'm an adult being a musician? And like, I, I'd already heard of it, you know? So, um, there was no real moment when I was like, Oh, I found out about this. I'm going to apply for this, but they, it, the APA is not just something that you can apply for. You have to be nominated. Right. So I, I knew that, that, that it was nomination only. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe in my mid late twenties, I'll probably be nominated and, and I'll try my best then never expected to get an email, you know, when I did, um, it was just like, I was, it was in holiday break and I randomly got an email from APA saying that, that I was nominated for the competition. I was, wow. I was totally surprised. I didn't expect that at all. Yeah. But, so I just, I just sent in my application and didn't really expect anything. And, yeah. And then what was the next step? Finding out that you were a finalist? Yeah, this was during my spring break, actually. I got a call, and the number on my phone said Indianapolis. So I was like, okay, they're probably going to tell me I didn't get in, you know, so it's fine. And then and then they told me I, I got in, and I was, like, kind of shocked. <laughs> I did not – I didn't expect it, you know, because there were so many wonderful musicians who were, who were nominated. Um, so I feel really grateful to be here, and, and I'm just going to try my best and kind of see what happens. And then um, I, know, I know there's more behind the scenes that happen, but that happens, but a, um, a, a, big, a big event for this organization is the last week of May in New York. Yeah. Um, and I, I, didn't, I didn't see the, um, the uh, Yamaha um, uh, presentation but I did get to see two sets at uh, Dizzy's. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and now, as someone who gigs regularly in New York, you're pretty familiar then with that, with that venue, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dizzy's at Lincoln Center. Yeah. Um, and I, but that, that week was the first time that all five of you um, are presented together. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And, and you said, so three of you knew each other uh, via Jazz House Kids. Yeah. It seems like there's a real camaraderie uh, backstage with, with the five of you. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so cool. Um, and those of us who follow this competition, a lot of people will be here tomorrow night. It's like over the year you see the unique musical personalities come out, you know? Yeah. And, um, I, I gotta say one thing. So a good friend of mine who I also work with, who's a better pianist than I am, Marlon Webb, we were sitting there Sunday and, and, and he remarked, he was like, he was, he just, he said, man, he's like, 
the dynamic range of Esteban and mm-hmm. the and also the historic you know references that you're drawing from is just like incredibly broad you know and I know it's hard to find the words you know mm-hmm. what I mean to talk, when talking talking about music but um, um, as you approached you know as you approached that um, that weekend May. Um, was that just like you'd approach kind of any other competition or was there something different about your kind of preparation? It was, uh, it was actually an interesting time for me because this, that, that was like, right. I was kind of in limbo because I was, I had moved out of the dorms at Juilliard and, and my lease for my apartment had started in June. So I was like, I was at my dad's house and I also had a bunch of other things in May. So I feel like I almost, I almost prepared less just because of my circumstances, not that I wanted to, but it, it also felt higher stakes because I've known about the APA my whole life. And it's yeah. always been kind of a goal to be a part of it, you know? Yeah. And so here I was, and, uh, you know, these pianists are, are people not only that are my peers, but that I look up to, you know, I mean that Isaiah was almost like a big brother at, at jazz house. He, he was, he was, I mean, he's, you know, six years older than me. So he was always in the, you know, kind of like the top bands and stuff. And I was like the little kid in the, you know, you know, the not, not in the top band and and stuff. So I I looked up to him as a kid. And um, even though I didn't know them when I was, you know, and and Kalen too, Kalen, Kalen, Kalen's younger, but he's, you know, he's also a couple years older than me. And and I, I was pretty close with him at, at jazz house when we were really young. And I mean, it's great to, see them now but these are people I, I look up to so it was yeah. intimidating as well for me and you know and Thomas and Paul I, I didn't know when I was a kid but I've of course I've heard about them yeah. you know and, and they're doing all this great stuff and then and and so yeah it was intimidating it was definitely that, intimidating but it felt you know the vibe between all of us was really friendly so it, it yeah I wish everybody in Indianapolis could see it because that night um, it was it was the five of you performing uh-huh. unbelievable it was a who's who of jazz piano. I met Fred Hirsch and yep. almost lost my mind. I've yeah. got 20 Fred Hirsch albums at my house. Oh, I yeah. met Bill Charlip. Yep. You know, Emmett Cohen. Yeah. It's just on and on. You know, I mean, um, Christian McBride was there. Yep, yep. I mean, it was just nuts. And then I see like 60 people from Indianapolis. I mean, yeah. so it was, just, it was really, really surreal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, but, I, but I need to ask you, you know, we're, we're in the early stages of this competition. It's your, your premiere series show tomorrow night um um what would what would winning mean to you if you if you had if you, if you won i mean it would mean the world for sure i mean you know not only the prize money of course but you know everything else that they offer like the, the career support the opportunities you know record deal agent um you know they're kind of setting me up to succeed and so I, I it would it would mean it would really mean the world yeah know? yeah um there, it's uh, one thing that people here really enjoy about the competition is there's the opportunity to see you and the finalists in so many different venues, mm-hmm. solo, trio, um, uh, accompanying singers, you know yeah. those those kinds of things. Um, is that now, now you're somebody who's done a lot of done a lot of different things, but mm-hmm. is that is that something that makes the um, competition more attractive to an yeah. artist? Absolutely, because I think. Uh, I think it really allows them to get a sense for everybody's artistry in, in multiple contexts and, and kind of get a well-rounded sense of, of, of each of the finalists. Um, I think also because there's you know, only five finalists that they can do that. If there were 15 finalists, it would be much harder to kind of get a good sense of their, of their playing. But I think it's great. I, I really think it's great. Um, every other competition I've done, it's been a one-day thing. Maybe there are yeah. multiple rounds, but it's not it's, you know, there, there, there's elimination after every round. So I've, yeah. I've, it's never been, you know, you have finalists and then you're working basically with them for a year in, in various contexts. Um, I think it's really good. I think more competitions should do it actually cool. because it allows uh, you, them to understand. One thing that we were really proud of, and I'm, I'm excited to see how this goes for you is the, um, the week long school residency, you know, with kids. Yeah. You know, to, to see, you know, how, um, the, how, you know, the relationships that form and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'll, I'll be excited to see that. Um, this, these conversations always fly by and especially with you, I mean, you're, you're incredibly generous, just kind of sharing sort of, uh, giving us a view into your mind and, and your process. Um, I do, I hope I'm not, uh, I hope I'm not blindsiding you with this question, but for people who maybe don't, don't play 
or maybe people who are um, creative in other fields. Are there um, books or, you know, podcasts or anything on, you know, the creative process? It could be music or it could be something else that have inspired you that you think about from time to time. Recently, I've been, uh, this is kind of for musicians, but I've been into the Hal Crook, How to Improvise book. Um, just like I was saying earlier, you know, the, this kind of puzzle of practicing how to improvise has been really on my mind. So that's been helping to center, center me because there are so many, he basically takes every, almost like every building block of improvisation because there are so many, there are hundreds of elements to it and then he focuses on it and that's what the whole book is about. So I really like that book. Um, I've, I kind of just started uh, Schoenberg's Theory of Harmony. Wow. Uh, so I, do, I, do, you, I, do you listen to a lot of modern classical for inspiration? Yeah. Okay. Not like, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, I recently listened to this piece, Offertorium by Gubaitalina, that really was inspiring to me. Yeah. But um, I'm not super well versed in, in like really contemporary classical music. Yeah. I, I, I kind of want to be more, but they're, they're definitely, I have like a, a, a kind of selection of pieces that I know that I really love yeah. from that idiom, so... Yeah. Um, another another uh, question. We're getting to the end again. Thank thank you. You've been incredibly generous. Are there um, so you by being at Juilliard and um, you you know some of our best jazz musicians in the country, if not the world. Um, are there musicians that you've been able to play with or observe that that you know jazz fan massive jazz fans like me should be tuning into who maybe aren't maybe aren't household names yet but that that you know we should we should keep an eye on you know people who run in your circles or or just people who inspire you um in terms of younger pianists who inspire me micah thomas is i think he's incredible yeah um and uh i think he's definitely gonna get i think he's getting to that household name kind of thing i yeah. think he's gonna continue to get there but I mean, he's like 25 and he's, micah thomas yeah. sounds incredible um, yeah, a lot of the, if I, you know, I would definitely say a lot of the other APA finalists, like if I, you know, I, I love all their playing, you know? Yeah. I, I saw, uh, the, you know, the, you know, the open studio guys in St. Louis, are you familiar with uh, I, P- Peter I, Martin and, yeah, yeah, and so yeah. they listed, um, they list, they, they, they compared notes on their favorite millennial jazz pianist and it was in oh. just the other day. And I swear like seven out of eight of them were former APA finalists are winners. I was like, fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I just love, I just love seeing that. And I just know, you know, I just, what's, what's great about this competition and I'm not trying to flatter, but it's like 10 years from now, we're going to be like, we saw Esteban Castro when, yeah. you know, when he was 20 years old. Yeah. You know? Another, another name, I guess I want to shout out is Jahari Stampley. Okay. Uh, Jahari Stampley. Yeah. Okay. Incredible pianist. Uh, he's toying with Stanley Clark right now. Wow. Um, it's like 22 years old, really, yeah. really inspiring musician. Speaking of Stanley, because yeah. you mentioned meeting Marcus Miller and things like that, have you um, have you dabbled in uh, some electric, um, you know, fusion inspired music? Not really. I, I want to get into it more. Um, I th- I think, uh, yeah, I I I definitely feel like a pianist yeah. first and foremost. Yeah. You know, I I think the idea of turning knobs to to uh, make different sounds is foreign to me because I'm so used to just creating them with my touch at the piano. Yeah. You know, so that, that kind of workflow isn't, doesn't add up in my head just yet, but I, it's something I, I would love to explore. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you're, de- you're definitely, when people come to hear you play and I can't, um, if you're, if you're listening to this on Saturday morning and we have tickets available, come to the premiere series. Cause again, you, you draw for such a young guy, you draw in such a broad history of music. And, um, Oh, last, very last question is that, um, you're, you're someone who's very kinetic, you know what I mean? You mm. you play it's it's very physical and it's mm. what comes across is a real sense of joy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. like you're just not you're just not thinking about it. You're totally mm-hmm. engaged in it. Is that mm-hmm. fair? Have people told you that before? Yeah, that's that's I mean that's the goal. That's what I try to reach. Yeah. Sometimes my mind wanders and I have to center it back. Um but yeah. I, I try yeah. to really mean everything I play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It come. It definitely, definitely comes across like you're channeling this emotion. It's very, mm-hmm. very real. Well, um, Esteban, I, it, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I'm excited to share this with people. And um, uh, again, um, not only is you know APA such a great thing that we have here in Indianapolis, but the fact that you know 
we bring our best American pianists through Indianapolis, and and we, you know, I think I feel like Indianapolis develops a relationship with you. So my my hope is by the spring that you you're kind of like, all right, Indy is my second home. You know, that's <laughs> that's my hope. So yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else that you'd wanna you'd wanna uh, mention just about um, you know APA or this experience that we haven't talked about? No, I'm just incredibly grateful to be a part of it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Esteban Castro, thank you for taking the time. It's been an honor. Can't wait for your concert tomorrow night at the Jazz Kitchen. Thank you. Thank you.